Hi everyone, so life is finally opening up again. We're in phase four and we're, we're in this sort of transition period as we learn how to live with COVID but without putting all of life on hold. And this is really positive. But with most transitions in life, it can make us feel a little bit anxious as well. So I wonder how you're feeling about mixing with people again, about going back to the office maybe, maybe even the prospect of going back to school. I think some of us are feeling a little bit nervous. And others of us, well, you might be facing difficulties or a bit of a crisis right now. And what you long for is peace, an inner calm in spite of the circumstances, a calm that will help you get through it. Well, the good news is the Bible speaks directly into our lives and has lots to say about anxiety and how we can have peace and calm in spite of it. So we're gonna look at a passage of scripture from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, the church in Philippi, that gives amazing wisdom as to how we can have this inner calm, this peace at times of anxiety. So let me read this to you. This is Philippians chapter four, beginning at verse four. Rejoice in the Lord, always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learnt or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. So what do we learn from these amazing words of wisdom? Well, here are four ways to fight anxiety and they spell out the word calm. C-A-L-M. So firstly, C. That stands for celebrate God's goodness. Paul writes in verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Paul says, look, rejoice, celebrate, be joyful. Actually, in this letter to the Philippians, Paul talks about rejoicing or uh, joy no less than 16 times. In fact, this is even more amazing when you realize that Paul wrote this letter whilst he was physically in chains in a prison in Rome. You know, maybe you feel trapped or imprisoned by your circumstances right now. Paul had every reason to be despondent or negative or to complain. And yet he says, look, we can choose to rejoice regardless of our circumstances. How? How is this possible? Well, Paul says rejoice 
in the Lord. It's because of our faith in Jesus Christ that we can have joy. We can choose to celebrate all that Jesus has done for you, dying on the cross for you and me, rising to new life, that we can have that new life, but also celebrate in anticipation of what Jesus will do in the future. Paul says in verse five, the Lord is near. Now, of course, wherever you're watching this right now, the Lord is near. He's with you by his Holy Spirit. That's a scriptural promise. When we put our trust in Jesus, he sends his spirit to come and dwell within us. He is near. But Paul means something else as well in this verse. When he says the Lord is near, he's referring to the fact that Jesus is coming back. At the end of time, he will return and he'll make all things right. His kingdom will be complete. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth and we'll be with him. No more pain, no more sadness. Our joy will be made complete. So Paul is saying you can have a taste, a foretaste of this future joy now. I remember the first time I ever had bubble tea was when I came to Malaysia. Can you believe it? I'd never had it before. I'd never even heard of it. And I remember I was at one end of uh, Bukit Bintang and as I walked along, there was a woman with uh, a tray with little small uh, cups on it. They, they, it was samples of bubble tea. And she came up to me and said, would you like one, sir? And I said, what, what is it? And she said, bubble tea. I said, I beg your pardon, bubble? Tea? What's that? She said, oh, it's a drink. I said, really? She said, oh, try, try. So I took it and I tasted it and I thought, oh my goodness, this is surely what we're all going to be drinking in heaven. It was amazing. And she said, look, if you like it, sir, just straight down the road here on the left, we've got a new place. I said, Okay, okay, I'm going, I'm going. Now I can tell you, I never walked down Bukit Bintang with such a spring in my step before. I was smiling, grinning from ear to ear. Why? Because I'd had a foretaste of the joy that was my first cup of bubble tea. And a bit like that, the kingdom of God, although not yet complete, has already broken into this world like a little sample cup through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as Lord. And you can have a foretaste of that joy right now and anticipate the fullness that is to come when he returns. Celebrate God's goodness. You could even celebrate with a bubble tea. The second letter of the word calm is A, and that stands for ask God for help. In verse six, Paul says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. You see, the antidote to anxiety is prayer. To pray is an act of faith. It's choosing to trust God with our circumstances and our life. You know, on the cross, 
a beautiful exchange took place. Jesus took all of our sin and shame upon himself. And in return, we are given forgiveness and life everlasting. And precisely because uh, the cross has now made us holy in God's sight, we have full access to God the Father through the sacrifice of the Son. There's no partition anymore. And therefore we can partake in another exchange. We can give our worries to God and our requests. And in return, you can now receive peace. Now, the word for requests that's used here by Paul means specific requests. So I suggest that each day, give the Lord your specific requests or needs in prayer. Name them, even write them down. And then once you've committed them to God, ask for his peace. I remember when uh, Sarah and I got married, we, we were very young at the time. Um, we were just starting our first job. We had no money. And uh, you know we were worried about how we we're gonna get to work and stuff because we needed a car. And I was really anxious about this, so we started to pray. And amazingly, we were given this second-hand little Nissan Micra. Now, it was quite an old car, but it was super reliable. I loved that car, and it really met our need. And then a, a number of years later, when we were uh, moving on uh, from leaving the area to another job, uh, we thought, you know, we were given this car, let's give it away. And we gave it to uh, this uh, young woman who had just started as a church youth worker. And we said, would you like our car? And she said, this is amazing. I, I was worrying about how I was going to get around. And, and this is my answer to prayer because I've been praying as well. And we thought, oh, that's so cool. And here's the thing. I'm not saying that when you pray to God for your needs that you'll get everything that you want. I mean, you might pray for a Ferrari, but get a Canari. But I'm saying that he will give you what you need. But more than that, in prayer, you'll receive the greatest gift, which is his peace. Paul goes on in verse seven and says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This peace will guard your heart and mind. And this image of guarding would have been easy for the Philippians to understand, living as they did in a Roman garrison town with plenty of Roman sentries around. Imagine Jesus himself says, I will stand guard over your heart and mind to defend the peace that I have won for you. And prayer is something that we can do with others in community as well. Paul is addressing the whole Philippian church here. And it can be really helpful to pray with others and to share your worries with them and in so doing find peace. I, I don't know whether you've ever observed geese flying uh, in the sky. They fly in a V formation, don't they? Like a sort of spearhead. 
And uh, they, they're very clever. They do this for a reason, because um, if they try to fly a long distance on their own, they'll never make it. But by flying in a V formation, each goose gains the benefit of getting the uplift from the goose flapping their wings in front of them. And it enables them to fly uh, much further and 72% faster. But scientists have done something really interesting. They, they've put heart monitors on geese. And what they observe is that when they fly on their own, their heart rate goes right up. But the minute they come together in this V formation, their heart rate drops right down. They call it the peace of geese. And you too can have the peace of geese as you pray together with others. The only one that has to work super hard is the goose right at the front. And although the analogy breaks down, for us really, that's Jesus. He's the head of the church and together, you can know the peace of geese. And I'd really encourage you, just click request prayer. And our team are here to pray with you. And as you pray into that which is worrying you or burdening you, then you'll know the peace of God come and rule and reign in your heart. Thirdly, the letter L stands for learn new habits learn new habits. Peace is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us this in Galatians 5.22. And growing these fruit, these character traits of Christ, uh, one might even call them virtues, Christian virtues, is part of the process of maturing as a Christian and part of our purpose once we've come to faith. In 1 Peter, Chapter two, verse nine, it says that we are now a royal priesthood. What's your purpose in life? Well, number one, to rule over and steward God's creation, to be royal, and to inspire that creation to worship their creator. That's a priesthood. You're a royal priesthood. And one way that we do this is by reflecting God the one in whose image we're made, by how we live, displaying these fruit or virtues in our life. But the fruit of the Spirit, such as peace, don't always get given to us just like that immediately. Sometimes it involves some effort and discipline on our behalf. I mean, why else would self-control be listed as one of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, yes, of course, this whole process is all within the grace of God and the power of His Spirit. But we have a part to play too. Not to try and achieve our righteousness or forgiveness, that's a free gift from God because of what Christ has done on the cross. But we play our part by cultivating the conditions for fruit to grow in our lives through adopting godly habits. And as we grow more in Christ-likeness, we'll find that peace grows in us too. After all, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And in chapter three uh, of 
Philippians. Paul says that, he says, look, I've not yet been made perfect, but I'm pressing on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. And then he says here in Philippians 4, verse 9, these words. He says, whatever you have learnt or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the peace of God will be with you. In other words, through the formation of godly habits, you anticipate the life that is to come in fullness when Jesus returns by beginning to live like that in the here and now, receiving joy, but also peace. And in so doing, you then reflect Christ to the world and play your part in ushering in the kingdom of God and that day of his return. But how do we develop these godly habits that help us grow godly virtues within us? Well, some sociologists say that it takes three weeks to develop a habit. Others say 66 days. Now, however long it takes, and I don't know, the best day to start a new habit is always today. I think you're watching this right now, not by coincidence. The Lord is speaking to you. What habit could you start today? And we need accountability to keep going. Don't try and do this new lifestyle on your own. That's why Paul says, look, copy me and copy each other. You see, you teach what you know, but you impart what you live. So you have to share your lives with one another. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, doesn't he? And he says, look, I didn't only share the gospel with you, but I shared my life also. And that's why we say get, get into a connect group, to share life, to model virtues to each other, such as faith, hope, and love, and, and peace, and to stay accountable to one another. Now, I think when we talk about relationship in the church, we often just either talk about the call to marriage or the call to singleness. And both of these are really valid, godly calls. I mean, after all, Jesus himself was single. But I think we must also talk about a third category of relationships, which is perhaps the most important of all. And that's what I'd call covenant relationships, covenant friendship. I have a friend uh, back in the UK called Mark, and he was telling me recently, he's been in the same small group now for 25 years. And he said, look, Miles, I can tell you that that small group where we can share what's going on in our lives, our worries, our struggles, our joys, where we can pray for each other. He says, that's probably done more to keep me accountable and growing into the likeness of Christ than anything else in my life. Covenant friendship, covenant relationship is the first crucial ingredient for growing fruit in our lives, especially peace. But there's another, another important step, and that involves the mind. So we've had C, A, L, then we've got M, which is meditate on good things. 
Verse eight says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You know, just as the fall of humankind began with a thought and when we sin it generally begins in our thought life, so also our sanctification, that process by which we become more like Jesus, that begins with what we think about. Writing to the Romans, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What we think about matters. Think of it like this, your brain is like a supercomputer and what you think about and what you say and speak, that's like the program that you write for it. So make sure that you code the right stuff. We're meant to be master of our, of our emotions, but often it can feel like our emotions master us. And our thoughts and our feelings are connected for the Jews, they believed that the mind was the place where both our thoughts and our feelings originate. And this kind of rings true, doesn't it? Because if we have a particular thought, it can often trigger a, a particular feeling. And likewise, if we experience a particular feeling, it can trigger a whole chain of thoughts. So under the grace of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, we need to develop the habit of thinking about good things and being careful at what we look at as well. Now, this isn't so much to do about keeping a bunch of rules, that, that misses the point. It's to enable us to grow in our love and likeness of Christ and being able to share that with the world as a royal priesthood. And one way in which we can think about good things is by reading the Bible, getting scripture in here as much as possible. So here's a challenge for you. Here's, here's a, something you might want to try. Try leaving your phone outside the bedroom. <gasps> Shock horror. I know people always say, hey, Miles, but I use it as my alarm. That is true. But there is also another innovation called an alarm clock. And you know, why do I say try leaving the phone outside the bedroom? Well, it means that it's not the last thing you look at before you go to sleep, nor will it be the first thing you look at when you wake up. Instead, when you wake in the morning, try, even if it's just one quick arrow prayer upwards. Try and pray the first thing you do when you open your eyes. Just pray to the Lord, Lord, thank you, I'm alive. Fill me with your spirit. And then you can pull back the bedsheet and get going. Try and pray. Put it this way, uh, in the morning, think first throne before phone. And, and then what I then do is once I'm up, I might go downstairs, help get breakfast, get the day going. Then I, I come up to get ready and shower. And then whilst I'm brushing my teeth or shaving in the bathroom, then I can take my phone and I listen to Bible in one year 
audio and try and get some scripture into my head. So if it's throne before phone, it's also get your face in the book before Facebook, as it were, and start the day right. And remember in this, in this way, you are putting the right stuff in that code for the supercomputer. I, I remember um, one alpha small group that I was uh, running. This, uh, this woman came as a guest into my small group, uh, very successful lawyer. Um, but like many a lawyer, she was full of worries and anxiety. So if you're a lawyer, bless you. You've got an amazing job. It's super stressful, but we need you. And she was super stressed out. And she came to faith in Jesus on that alpha. And uh, the very next course that we ran, her husband came along as a guest. And, uh, you know, on week one of alpha, we always go around the group and we say to everyone, what made you come on alpha? And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, look, Miles, he said, I'm here because I don't know what it is you've done to my wife, but it's good. She's a lot more chill than she was. And do you know what? I could do with a bit of that as well. And then on that alpha, he came to faith and actually God healed him of his insomnia. And just like them, that amazing couple, you too can know the peace of God, which transcends all understanding and which will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Thank you.